pressed. Recording. Ah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hi Diana, how are you? It's so nice to Hello. have you here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm very happy to have you here. And uh, Diana is an independent educational uh, college counselor, as I am, and we have shared a lot of uh, information uh, together. And uh, she's just as passionate about students as I am. So I'll allow her to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her life and her students or whatever she wants to tell us. So on you go. Okay, yeah. well, happy to be here, Diana. Mm -hmm. um, well, basically, I got into independent counseling after working for many, many years for Brown University, my alma mater, um, in the alumni interviewing program. And, okay. um, and I had always loved the part, the connection with the students. And um, as I was offered more, like a more administrative job, I realized that that's not what I wanted and that I really wanted to have to continue this, con this connection and sort of thought, you know, I'll break out and try something new. So it's not my background at all. Um, I wanted to be a doctor my entire life, got into Brown oh. as a pre-med, as a pre-med student. And mm -hmm. after a year studying chemistry and physics and calculus, um, I decided that that was not the path I wanted to take. I had all my friends who were taking the most amazing uh, human, you know, human, humanistic, how do you know, how do you call it? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, humanistic, humanistic courses and, mm -hmm. you know, philosophy and history and all of that. And I was stuck in this, like in the labs. So <laughs> I realized that wasn't for me. And I sort of like got out of it, justifying my dad with an economics degree, um, which in Brown really was eight courses of economics over my four years. So that's where you call like liberal arts to the you know nth degree um so i did like three majors there you can do a double major or a minor it was just one concentration but i had like three majors and two minors i think um and uh and so i didn't work in economics because you know i went to all these banks did all these interviews and couldn't see myself in the banking world at all with a three-piece <laughs> suit and, you know, pantyhose in the summer in New York City. That uh, was not for me. No, either. no, not at all. So, so what did I you graduate to, as, as? As an economist? Is that you, yes, what you graduated? Yes, I graduated as an economist. As and, an your, economist. and your other majors? Well, my other major was something that at the time was called organizational uh, behavior and management. Now mm -hmm. it's like COE, like... Um, I think it's like commerce organization and, and entrepreneurship or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, which was a wonderful, wonderful uh, degree taught by this adorable man who I think is still alive called Dean Hazeltine. And um, he was, he was like the most loved person on the entire campus, I think. And so I did those two majors and then I did a minor in art history, Ooh, um, nice. which again, it was not, it's not a certifiable minor because Brown didn't have anything except for one concentration. They made you choose the concentration you want to graduate in. And at that time, at least, I don't know if it's still the same thing. Okay. But um, so anyway, I wanted something more creative. I wanted something more lively, something more dynamic, less hours of work, less slavery. And uh, I went into advertising. Oh. And uh, Worked in advertising for two years in New York and two years in Paris. Nice. Yeah, loved nice. it. Yes, sounds very exciting. 
So, yeah. um, so you were talking about this, this teacher that you just had, uh, that you had that you think he's, he's still alive. As you said, his name was Dean Hazelton. Is that what you said? Yeah, Hazeltine. 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 Okay. Yeah. And his first name, I can't remember his first name right now. Um, mm -hmm. It was like Barry. I think it was Barry Hazeltine or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. sort of looked like, you know, Miss Piggy, but in a male. <laughs> he was hysterical. And he had this little voice. And he literally, he had these little round glasses. And he had like this upturned nose. And he looked like Miss Piggy. And, oh, my um, gosh. And everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. He had like all these courses and like for case studies. Um, all his courses were like case study based. And they were incredibly interesting. I, I had two favorite professors. One was uh -huh. him and the other one uh -huh. was a professor who was doing a tenure at Brown of a couple of years. And I looked him up actually for this podcast. His uh -huh. name was, um, was Dr. Chump, Champa, 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 Champa. And he was an art historian, graduated from Yale and from Harvard. And I don't know what he I was actually doing at Brown, but he was there. And I heard my friends talking about, you know, like this amazing art history class. I'd never heard of art history. I had never thought I had traveled all around Europe with my mom as a kid, going to all the museums and all the churches and all the cathedrals, hating what she was called, you know, <laughs> touristing or sightseeing. <laughs> and so I wasn't so sure about taking a course in like art history. And I mean, fascinating fascinating it was just like the most amazing course and he was there for two years so i managed to take i think three courses with him and did like ended up taking like five courses in art history thanks to him and thanks to oh. the fact that i heard um through the grapevine about this amazing class which you know which actually is part of like how amazing college is because of the experience of the networking and the talking to other students and you know and, and hearing about so that's their an important point. Yeah, yeah, that's a very important point that you're saying is this networking uh, within the campus and, and listening to what the other uh, students are saying and talking about the different professors, you know, I, I think that's a really important point that I hadn't even thought about, you know, and, and, and of course, here you talk about these two amazing professors that you had that you obviously heard through the grapevine, you know, you heard yep. about them through the grapevine. So, yeah. and and if, if you're talking about these two teachers, what do you think was their, their most uh, interesting part of them or what made their classes so interesting? If you can think of that. Well, I think my art history class has taught me a new perspective, like taught me like how you could see art through any lens and how you could critique it through any lens there was there was a certain basis i mean like he taught us all the basic you know how how you analyze a piece of art you know the lighting and the structure and you know there was there's all these concepts but what he put in was the fact that you could describe a piece of art and it didn't matter if he thought your opinion was right or wrong it was how you analyzed it and that for me was such a fresh perspective of how you could do anything because I came from a very sort of rational like math and science and until then you know things were right or wrong mm -hmm. and yeah. I think this was like maybe one of the first classes where you could be wrong in your in your um let's say in your in your uh, perception of a piece of art but if you supported it 
And if you carried it through to the end with the concepts and with the base that you wanted to, that was what was important. So very liberating in a sense, very liberating. Very liberating. And, and there were huge classes, huge, but he would call on us. I mean, there was in an auditorium, could have been like 200 kids, 135 kids in this class, but he would call on us. And when you described a piece of, art that he would bring up on the slide or something and you know you felt like all nervous because you were put on the spot or whatever um and you would hear other kids doing the same thing you realize how sometimes you interpreted something in a totally different way Hmm. and yet it was as valid as someone else's point of view that's very important because because the teacher validated whatever your opinion was or whatever the other students opinions were that's that's interesting that's interesting. And, and what about Mr. Piggy? What was so imp- interesting about well, Mr. Mr. Piggy? Mr. Piggy's, Mr. Piggy's class, I think he was just such a character. He was such a, he was, you know, he was like a Mr. He, he was like a comic book figure. He was like a mixture between like Mr. Magoo and Mr. Piggy. And, and you had to see him when he walked around campus. People flocked to him and he remembered like everybody's names. It was incredible oh how you... He was, he was just unbelievable. He was one of these like real character. Like he had this magnetism and, and he had a stutter on top of it. He stuttered and he was just, he, he, was, a, he was a real character. Um, here I was going to talk Spanish. So this is a very yes. good exercise for me because it's obliging I, me to I speak know. in one language. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever, um, yeah. whatever word comes up easiest. No, 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 right. no. You have to stick to your language. <laughs> right, right. So what anyway. was so memorable, memorable about Mr. Piggy? Because I mean, he, he was a character and he had this magnetism. Everybody flocked to him. But, but what did he transmit that was so attractive to you and to the other students? He was very, there was a connection there. There was like such a human connection. Someone who remembered you on campus. I mean, there's, there's this thing that, I, that, you know, maybe further on we can talk about. I think the hugest change between like school and, or high school and college is the mm-hmm. sheer size of it. And the fact uh-huh. that in high school, everybody knows you and you sort of know everybody. I mean, in most high schools, I know there are huge uh-huh. high schools in the States, but you know, you're, you're in a much more uh, intimate surrounding. So the fact that there was someone on campus who was a professor of yours that actually remembered your name in a huge class when he had hundreds of thousands of students had been on campus for 20 years. Um, hmm. So I think there's something very comforting about that. And then the classes he taught were so interesting, which works to his favor too, which were basically case studies. We, we studied marketing and we studied, you know, commerce and we studied like organizational behavior um, through case studies mm-hmm. and they were actual real case studies. So the actual, the work was also very interesting. Well, because it was him, very real. It was very it was real. real. If it was, it was real case studies. I mean, that's what I find fascinating. Because it, it makes it yeah. real. It makes it, you know, it's not a book thing invented by somebody. So that's, that's yeah. fascinating. Very interesting. Um, so uh, another one of the questions I have is, what do you remember most about your college years? Definitely, Diana. Ever since I graduated, I thought that my college experience, as far as like 
memories and and um, assets and things that I took my take from college was mm -hmm. probably 70% non-academic or 80% non-academic. It was living on my own. It was the independence. It was the campus life. It was interaction with other kids. It was what I learned at two o'clock in the morning, sitting on the hall floor <laughs> of my dorm from other kids that were talking about classes. Um, it was recommendations of things that I should do, you know, like taking in, like it was a whole new world for me. And, and I think that world, uh, apart from the academic, which I was always a very academic student and I loved learning and everything, but this whole world opened up to me and, um, and the independence and the learning how to take decisions on my own. I found it a very empowering experience. Um, okay. I think when you leave home, you're, you're, you make yourself very much the victim of your parents' education. Oh, no, my mom won't let me and my dad won't let me. And, you know, I'm not allowed to do that. And here you have no one to push the blame to. Here it was everything right. you. You know, if someone invited you to go out on a Monday night, you know, if you were in high school, you so I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but my mom doesn't let me. And here right. you had to say on your own, you know, yes or no, or, you know, be responsible for yourself, really. And, and what I was would only you, 17. You were only 17 when you started college. Yeah. And were you in college for four years? You graduated after four years or because you four took years. so many different no. uh, four years. You finished in four years? Well, okay. like I told you, I was an econ major with eight courses in economics. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. you know, I mean, how, yeah. many, how, many, how many majors you could have? Like, you know, at that point, you, I could have had four majors, you know, probably. Right, right. But you right. know what? You know what, you know, and, and on the same line of what I'm telling you, you mm -hmm. know what my experience was? My electives. Ah. Always my electives. Hmm. I allowed myself in my electives to really explore subjects that were interested in. And what I did was I didn't have a great experience my first year or maybe my first year and a half with professors. I found there mm -hmm. were a lot of professors that didn't speak the language or were there on research grants or maybe graduate professors and they were made, you know, they were, they were obliged to teach undergrad and they weren't very, very connected. So I started, I would have really been able to use that site that now exists is called Rate My Professor, mm. but that didn't exist in our time. I still had a typewriter, <laughs> a little red Canon typewriter when I went to school. So um, a, when I lost my train of thought. You were um, saying about having professors. the professors. Yeah. And your first you know year how and a half. I chose, you know how I chose my courses? By the professors. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I would hear an amazing professor on campus. And I mean, I, you look at my transcript and my transcript looks like a goulash soup. You know, it's like mm -hmm. has the weirdest titles like ancient civilizations, then, you know, Spanish literature, then English literature, then art history, then economics and chemistry. It's like, it's, it's a soup. It's a stew yeah. with like yeah. everything you had left in your, in your fridge, because that's how I chose my courses. And I chose my courses because of the professors, because I was mm -hmm. tired of having professors that I, that I didn't find motivating or encouraging or in you know interesting and so my electives is what really made up my 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 college experience very interesting so what would you say to an incoming freshman thinking about that first year and a half that really wasn't you know your your happiest or best or more more most productive 
year and a half, first year and a half? I think really take advantage of what your university is good for, because mm -hmm. not every universe, and there's how important it is to get the fit for the mm -hmm. student, because mm -hmm. I basically went to Brown without ever having visited. I went because it was an Ivy League school and it was the only <laughs> Ivy League school I got into, you know? So, okay. you know, I was, I was gonna go to NYU and then Brown accepted me because I was waitlisted. And wow, Ivy League, let's go for the paper. And I had, I think that Brown was a school, now more schools are going towards that tendency that the liberal arts part of it, the real, the part that you'd had no core curriculum and that's what, at the end of the day, I didn't realize until today when I was preparing for your podcast, <laughs> but that's what I really took advantage of. Was because the core curriculum? I, no, the non-core curriculum. We oh, don't have okay. core curriculums at Brown. There is no okay. core at all. Okay. You don't have to take the only core curriculum that nowadays exists, I think since like 10 years is a writing workshop that everybody has to do, but that didn't even exist in my time. So you wow. went straight into exploring whatever you wanted to explore. It's like high school's over. Okay. And, and, okay. and I think that if you look at a lot of the College of Arts and Sciences nowadays that make you take the social science and the science and the math and the, and the mm -hmm. whatever, it's like repeating high school. Maybe True. it's good for some kids, but I found yes. that, you know, being able to like take a sociology course, what was sociology? I mean, we're talking 1981. I had no right. idea what sociology was, anthropology, art history. These were courses, and I went to an American high school. These were right. courses that were so far off my radar, and yet they made, they made my college experience. I mean, that's where I really reveled in, you know, in, in, those, in that knowledge in those courses. So the important thing is first to find out uh -huh. what your college is good at and then maybe even find out about the professors, you know, maybe, you know, find some, out. yeah. And then I was going to, I was going to say something mm -hmm. that's not based on my experience, but it's based on my students' experience, mm -hmm. which is reach out for help if you want. Mm -hmm. First mm -hmm. of all, like if you have an advisor, use him or her. Mm -hmm. Use all the resources the school allows you to because your timing is very different than your timing in high school. In high school, you have a credits, like teachers give you credit. They give you like, you know, they give you passes like, oh, okay, you couldn't do your homework. You know, I'll give you another week. Um, you have a whole year to catch up with a bad grade. Let's say if you get a bad grade in October, November in high school, you have another six months to catch up with that for your yearly final grade. That doesn't happen True. in college. Okay. And Good a point. lot of kids have slipped through the cracks because in October, middle October, by midterms, they're getting, you know, they're failing a class or getting a C and the mm -hmm. rest of the term is not enough to catch up and to get an A at the end of the term. So what you're so, saying is that you should really start studying from day one. Yes. That the timing yeah. factor, it's those two things. One, reach out for help and use, and use the resources available Important. and take the opportunities. You need to be much more proactive in college than you are in high school. In high school, you're spoon-fed a lot of stuff. And in, right. high, in, in college, if you don't take advantage of it and you're not proactive, you'll just you know, flow through without having done anything outside of your box. That's, that's very true. That's a very good point. That's two very good points, actually. So, you know, um, uh, do you want to add anything else to, to this point of the fit and, and asking for help or 
you know, uh, I think that's it. Really taking mm -hmm. advantage of the opportunities the university offers. You go to lectures, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a speaker on, on campus, go and take advantage of stuff. It's stuff that most kids don't do their freshman year. And then once they haven't done it in freshman year, they don't really know how to do it sophomore year. And it just becomes a habit. Um, right, whereas right. if you really realize all the amazing um, a, opportunities that colleges yeah. give you besides mm -hmm. going to class. Um, True, very important. A bunch of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very important what you're saying. Um, and uh, so you were saying that what was your favorite subject, but you really had like a lot of different subjects that you liked because of course you were into this whole humanistic movement once you understood that you didn't want to be a, a doctor. So, yeah. uh, and you said, you know, your art history and all that was so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so oh, then, I loved all my literature classes. I loved them. Just the analysis uh, of all the, you know, everything we read in Spanish and in English was just so mm -hmm. amazing. Um, I, I think I took a Spanish lit course just because I love the name of this professor. He was called Amori Castellanos. That was literally <laughs> his name. I don't know if he changed it at some point or whatever. I never saw his birth certificate. But, Maybe um, you can say that, translate the name in English so that, that the people who are listening love to and us. Castilian, you know, <laughs> love and Castilian. I mean, that's, that was his, his, and he was just such an amazing professor, such an amazing professor in the way he analyzed books and stuff. He was just, it was wild. I so mean, I knew that I, wouldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't really do much with an English degree or with an mm -hmm. art history degree. I mean, and, and mm -hmm. back then it was very important since I had gotten out of medicine, I was gonna be the first doctor in my father's Jewish um, a family. Mm -hmm. And so that was probably an important thing for me. And so having gone back from that, I had to sort of, uh, sort of justify that I was doing something practical even though I wasn't gonna be a doctor. <laughs> very true, very true. So. What would you say to uh, a graduating class today? You well, that flows when... perfectly from what I was saying before, which mm -hmm. is that you mm -hmm. can do something that you're passionate about um, mm -hmm. and something that fulfills you and that can be professionally an important, uh, an important um, profession or, or, or activity. Um, I find that you can be happy and fulfilled at the same time as as professionally successful. So you find and that's that, really important what so many people say, you know, throughout our lives that you have to be passionate and love what you're doing because otherwise it just, it just doesn't jive, you know, it just doesn't yeah. go. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And on, and on some very unconscious degree, I think I understood it. I mean, when I left and mm -hmm. I was interviewing for all these banks, as I told you, I, I just mm -hmm. didn't see myself in the banking world. And I went to something that had probably a quarter of the pay, but I'm sure I was more than four times as happy as I would have been in the banking, which was advertising. It was creative. Mm -hmm. It was young. It was dynamic. It was changing. It was nine to five. It was, mm -hmm. it was everything I was looking for. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so I'm so glad you did find it, you know, that you, yeah. you did go into that. Yeah. So it made a huge difference in your, in your working career. Yes. And then there's another mm -hmm. thing that I would tell the graduating class that mm -hmm. I think it's very important that you can, there's another balance there between self-gratification and being personally successful and your service to humanity. Mm -hmm. And okay. society. And I think that's, that's important to keep in mind 
um, throughout your year, you know, throughout your life, basically, that, that you can give back and you can, and you can be of help and you can be of service in some way, as well as fill your pockets and fill your own, you know, sense of whatever self-gratification you're looking for. That's an important point too, you know, to once you're out in the, in the work world to also give back. That's, that's a good yeah. point, an important one too. And, and how do you see education evolving in the future? Well, there's one thing that I've thought since a long time before COVID, because COVID obviously <laughs> rushed this, this uh, change. Um, which is that we are becoming much more, we will become much more technological. We will go online much more. Um, I think that on the one hand, you're gonna, we're going to miss that college experience that for me was so important. Yes. But on the other hand, I think it's going to become much more accessible to a lot of people for two reasons. One is that someone who doesn't have to live on campus, someone that can maybe live at home, someone that can, you know, has a lot less expenses probably to incur than going to college. And also the professor's quality, I think, is going to improve because if you don't oblige a professor to move to a campus to be a professor, but he can be sitting in his den or in his office at home and teach, you have access to better faculty and to more faculty. That's a very good point. I hadn't even thought of that, that they can teach from home or from an office or from whatever without having to move to a campus, which is, my, they might not like it, you know. They, so, they might not like it. They may not yeah. want to go, like if they're, mm -hmm. you know, live in California, they might not want to go to New Haven to teach in Yale. Um, right. They would maybe rather, or maybe they have an impediment to going, or maybe they have a family member, whatever the reason is. Mm -hmm. It's obviously much easier to lecture from your home than to lecture on a campus. Yes. Um, again, without the marvels of interacting with students and younger kids and the mm -hmm. dynamic aspect of, you know, social connection and a social network. But yeah. um so that's one thing. And then I think education in general is going to change because if you look like 30, 40 years ago, like my mother-in-law re re can recite you poetry in three languages and like mm -hmm. has all these poems that she has memorized and, and things that you memorize. I have friends that are very historian um, or history related and they have all these dates and facts memorized. Nowadays, you don't need that. You have a mm -hmm. phone by you. You have an iPad. You have Google. You have all these search engines that will give you those kind of answers in a second. I think that, that it's going to be less fact-related and more reflective and more analytical and more um, opinion-based because the facts are going to be there. Yeah, and I would even say more creative because what you're saying, which I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about it that way, is that it's going to open up a whole maybe creative sense, you know, or, or that we, did, we don't have if we are memorizing numbers or dates right. or whatever, you know, right. and I, I hadn't seen it like that. And, and, I, and think I feel that they're, uh -huh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. there's many obsolete systems of education, like the one in Venezuela, which mm -hmm. obliges you just to memorize. That's obsolete. Right. There's right. no use nowadays to memorizing. The use is the thinking. Think. Right. Think. And the solving of problems. The thinking and the solving of problems with that creative 
uh, impulse comes in and, and new ideas come out and new ways of being and new ways of educating, new ways of, of, of uh, you know, maybe creating medicines or, or operations or whatever. I mean, you know, from what you're saying, I think that's, that's fascinating. I haven't seen it. And it's going to be much more challenging for the faculty because it's much easier just to regurgitate, you know, some facts and have your kids like mm -hmm. memorize them, um, you know, in, in a, in a, I don't know, in a multiple choice test or something. But, right. um, but I think there's something there, um, at least in the basic education, like primary, secondary education. I'm not so sure how university education is, is, is going to change. Um, well, it's definitely going to change because of its online nature. I think technologically speaking, we're going to go to, I don't know what's going to happen to science, for example, where it needs labs. Are you going to do your labs at home with no supervision? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things there that can't be really translated online as well. Um, yes. A lecture well, finds sure that, a lecture. Well, I'm sure that, that they'll find, uh, uh, you know, the, the, that's where the creative sense comes in as to what they're going to do about labs, you know, and, and how they can recreate them at home in a simple way that right now seems all so complicated, you know. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. it's, it's, it's possible that that's what's, what's going to happen with the scientific part. Or maybe if you're going to study a scientific uh, career, then maybe the university will have that much more, you know, uh, scholarships or to give to the students so they can come on campus and live on campus and then create all this scientific, you know, newness or, 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 or you know, new things that can come out of, these geniuses that they will have on campus. And then the professors yeah. also will be willing to teach them whether they're far away or near, you know. Yeah. And, and I hadn't seen it that way either, that, that this is something that can be. I mean, oh, we don't, we don't need to have so much money for, you know, scholarships for, uh, you know, uh, students studying history because they're going to be at home and it's going to cost a lot less and we're going to charge them a lot less because they are going to be at home. And then all, therefore all that money can be dedicated to science or to medicine or, or to whatever the, those subjects are that need uh, people, you know, on campus uh, to be able to carry it out. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. And then what, what is going to happen with that whole cost basis? Because, mm -hmm. red, you know, room and board for universities meant a lot of money coming in. That's if true. kids aren't rooming and boarding and they're charging less they will probably be obliged to charge less tuition because mm -hmm. you're not giving them the full, you know, the full experience anyway. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot less money coming into the schools and there's a lot of overhead costs that have already been, you know, that need to be maintained. Right. Right. Well, maybe also if they have less buildings and less of, of everything, then they also have less you know, maintenance costs. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a huge change. I mean, I find it's, it's, I, we don't even know, you know, what direction that's going to go in. So that's what I also find so very exciting. Interesting. Interesting. That's, that's very good. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, that's uh, the last question I have for you. And I don't know if there's anything that you'd like to add that I might've missed, you know, in, in, uh, asking you or that maybe you want to add to to what we've been discussing until now not really 
I mean, oh. I, you know, it was a very interesting experience because it made me think of a lot of things and, and <laughs> understand a lot of things that I hadn't really thought about. So oh, that's it was nice. very that's enlightening nice. for me. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Very I'm glad to hear that. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to listen to you and all your ideas and, and, you know, your past experiences that some of them, of course, I didn't know about. So that's also been very nice for me to, to hear about your, your college experience and, you know, the very interesting uh, recommendations to this, for the students. I thought, I think that's been very important also for me. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you come you. on. Yeah, so thank you I'll see again. you around. Yeah, I'll bye, see bye. you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so I 